0: This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 1115 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. A reading from Acts, chapter 11. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea... Heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, And it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, "'Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message, by which you and your entire household will be saved.' And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, "'John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit.' If then God gave them the same gift that He gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Holy wisdom, holy word.
1: The Holy Gospel, according to John, the 13th chapter. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace Choir, you are awesome today. Cross Current, you are awesome today. Thanks for putting that all together with such joy. Uh, Grace and peace be yours through the risen Christ. Amen. From its very beginnings, Judaism was part of a multicultural society. Uh, They were never ever the dominant religion, um, always the minority. In fact, they were always underneath the uh, thumb of someone else. Originally, it was Egypt, and then it was Assyria, and then Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece. And then ultimately, at the time of our first reading, they were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And through all of that, they somehow kept their identity as a people. One reason that they could do that was having very clear boundaries. uh, What sociologists would now call cultural demarcation. That is, they had customs and they had behaviors and practices and things that they did and things that they didn't do that, that distinguished them, that that marked them, that delineated them from their neighbors. You know a bunch of them, I'm sure. Um, they kept Sabbath strictly. Don't work on the Sabbath. Spend the day trusting and thanking God for what God has done. They kept kosher, which is a, a dietary law. and They didn't do it just like at holidays, but they, they did it all the time. And they had strict rules about marriage and social interaction and worship and uh, clean and unclean is not just about food it's about a lot of other things where you could practice your business how you lived your life and they also circumcised which admittedly is not so obvious to the outsider but it's a permanent reminder to the owner um, and, and a lot of those seem very strange to us today even to a lot of Jews but they actually worked um, they they kept the group together. Any group that that wants to survive has to mark its boundaries, has to. Um, These traditions had been practiced for so long that they were just part of their Jewish psyche. It was unimaginable that anyone would work on the Sabbath. It was unimaginable that anyone would eat unclean food or associate with unclean people or trust God but not be willing to be circumcised. Peter himself, even after last week's reading of helping raise Tabitha from the dead is so inculcated in these demarcations that when he has a dream one night and God, God speaks to him and tells him that you're going to have to break kosher God has to give him the dream three times for him to get it. Because it makes him sick to think about eating unclean food. He's 30, 30 30-something years old. He's never eaten anything unkosher in his life. And in this vision, he sees all these unclean things on a giant tablecloth, great big sheets of unclean meat, things that his mother and his grandmother had told him God does not want you to eat. And he hears God say, take and eat this. And he feels like if he does, he's going to get struck with a lightning bolt. When he wakes up, and he's probably feeling kind of nauseous at that moment, there is a knock on the door. There are these three guys there, and they have an invitation they claim is from the Lord. The invitation is to go to an unclean city, Caesarea. It's named after Caesar, the Roman. To an unclean house, a tannery, where they butcher these kinds of meat. To meet with a person there named Simon, who is the person who does the butchering and also is unclean. And to join Simon in a feast of unclean foods. What is miraculously amazing is that, thanks be to God, he does it. He goes... He greets them. He eats with them. I can't imagine what's going on internally for him. He shares the story of Jesus risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit falls on everyone like at the day of Pentecost. And as we like to say, church breaks out. And all of that is great. I mean, really great. Let me make sure you understand how great. This is the moment when the church formally opens its doors to the Gentiles. And we are the Gentiles. It's great, except when he gets back to the church in Jerusalem, predictably, they're not very happy. Peter's called on the carpet for his scandalous behavior, which is an affront to everything that is holy and good in the world. There's a group of people who think that he's sold out. There's a, a group of people who thinks that he's abandoned the faith. There's a group of people who think that he's watered down scripture. There's a group of people who think, well, we just never done it that way and we shouldn't start now. Mind you, that they all are disciples of Jesus. They all love Jesus in Jerusalem and in Joppa. But whenever you start messing with boundaries and traditions, it makes people anxious. Peter takes that moment to explain to them that in Christ Jesus, God is changing the rules. Let that sink in for a moment. Peter, and maybe this is the reason that Jesus chose him and said, you're going to be the rock on which I build a church, Peter. Peter explains to the church in Jerusalem that in Jesus Christ, God is changing rules. All the rules. Now his argument, I, I love to study rhetoric, especially in Scripture. His argument is really a basic kind of argument, and frankly, it's hard, hard to argue against. This was his argument. He said, you know, the very same God that came to us at Pentecost and gave us faith, that same God came to them and gave them faith. And then it's a brilliant argument. I can just see him kind of folding his hands and saying, so who was I to argue with God? Pretty much every major dispute in the church, and there have been some real doozies in 2,000 years, has been about whether a certain practice or tradition or ethic or cultural demarcation is necessary Necessary to follow Christ. Some of the conflicts are recorded in Scripture in the New Testament. You know some of them. You can read about the big circumcision argument in the book of Galatians. You can read about the role of women in Romans and Ephesians. Others erupt as early as the 4th century and continue. Um, We Lutherans, we we don't call it an argument. We call it the Reformation. Some of the things got resolved. They got resolved at major church gatherings where uh, followers from all over the world gathered together, not just for a few hours, but for years, to talk and pray and decide things that they thought would be important. They were called councils. That's where we got creeds. That's where we got the Nicene Creed and the Apostolic Creed. It is at a council where we got scripture. Uh, The question was, uh, other than the Torah, the first five books that we know of the Old Testament, what else can or should be read in a public gathering of Christians? And they created a collection of books called the Canon, we now know as the Bible. At one point in the United States, nearly every major denomination split over the question of slavery. Now, you, you probably have some examples of your own because it never ends. Um, think about your family of origin, uh, or if you went to church as a child, think about what that community was like, and then ask yourself this. Say, well, what would have put me in that community, and what would have put me outside that community? That, by the way, is one of the things that I love about a high school youth group called One Body. Because there's no in or out in one body. Drinking, smoking, going to the movies were a big deal in some traditions. It seems so hilarious now, but I remember big battles about whether our youth group, which back then was called the Luther League, uh, wow, uh, whether we could play euchre at the church. We could play it at home, but you couldn't play it at the church. Anybody over 40 has seen a significant change in the role of women in the church. So here's a hypothesis for you to chew on. Here's an assertion I'm making today. In all of those disputes, and you pick whichever one you want, whenever we've broken down another barrier, drinking, dancing, divorce, interracial, same-gender marriage, whenever we've broken down another barrier, we have become more Christian rather than less. Part of Jesus' core message is that everyone is loved by God. Everyone is accepted by God. For God so loved the whole world and gave his only Son. Everyone can be reconciled to God. And Jesus was constantly in trouble over boundary issues. If you read any of the four Gospels in chronological order... It is a constant battle about boundary markers. It irritated people to no end that he ate with sinners. It bothered people that he healed someone on a Sabbath. It really irritated people that he allowed himself to be touched by a woman. That he included people that they had excluded, fried people. And at one point, Jesus addresses some religious leaders whose Main job was to decide who's in and who's out. They were called Pharisees, keepers of the law. And he tells that group of people that prostitutes and tax collectors are going to get in the kingdom of God before you. Wow. I want to make sure you heard that. He didn't say X in there anywhere. Practicing prostitute, lying, cheating, tax collectors have a better chance of being accepted and being included, entering the kingdom of God. Than self-righteous, judgmental, religious people. Here's Jesus' list. I just I just used the Gospel of John. Prostitutes, tax collectors, publicans, blind, disabled, possessed, foreigners, divorced, adulterers, Samaritans, women, even children who back then were of no value whatsoever. Jesus not only welcomes in his words the little ones to come unto me, but he tells everyone that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Wow. Hope you're getting a big picture here today. All of these laws and customs functioned as boundary markers, and they were historically and sociologically and theologically and emotionally important. They enabled the community to maintain its identity. In short, they really, really matter. And anyone who messes with them even Jesus, whoa, you start to understand why they crucified him. With that big picture comes a big legitimate question. Here it is. If we throw out all of those boundary markers, whether we agree with them or not, whether we cherish them or not, if we throw them all out. We like to say to the Lord of Life Church, if we make gourmet burgers out of sacred cows... How will we distinguish the Christian community? How will we be in the world, but not of the world? Let me say it another way. How will we know who's part of the people of God and who's not? Or how will we know whether we are, I am. The church today, thanks be to God, The very body of Christ on earth, transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus, baptized in the water, filled with the Holy Spirit, is diverse. There is no arguing this point. Male and female, Jew and Gentile, black and white, rich and poor, slave and free, married, single. And then I just couldn't stop myself. Perfumed and smelly, old and young beautiful and disfigured, homo and hetero, sane and psycho, serious and joyous, extrovert, introvert, democrat, republican, independent, liturgical or contemporary, with kids, without kids, with a job, without a job, techno, troglodyte, citizen, alien, clean, addicted, vegan or carnivore, with hair, without hair. Who are we? Who are we? Not individuals. Who are we? Jesus gives one answer and one answer only. We heard it in our gospel reading. It is so important to the church that every single year we gather at Holy Week to hear it. We gather on Maundy Thursday, the night in which our Lord was betrayed, the night in which he instituted the sacrament, the night in which a new covenant was given. Jesus said, as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's it. That's the distinguishing feature. And that is the point that Peter got that day in Caesarea. Any other boundary marker, any behavior, any tradition, any custom, any ritual, any morality that is not directly related to that one, is not Christian. By this, says Jesus, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah.